All right, so this week on our illustrious podcast where we watch old TV shows, uh, you brought up the idea of watching The Defenders because... Oh, yes, The Defenders, I did. Right, it's because you were watching uh, some old Mad Men episodes and there was an episode where they bring up The Defenders. So I watched that episode yesterday just to, just to get up to speed. So it was, uh, I don't remember the season two though, I think it was called The Benefactors, season two episode of Mad Men where... Uh, the idea with the show was based on a real thing where the show The Defenders was a 1960s courtroom show that had a really controversial episode about um, abortion and they had a hard time getting sponsors and they ended up finally getting a sponsor at a reduced rate. It was a whole to do. So in Mad Men, they work it into the story since Mad Men's about an ad agency that uh, one of the characters he's trying to, uh, you know, get up his position in the company. So he hears about this and he pitches the idea of like, hey, why don't we try to get advertising for this show, move into, because they don't do a lot of TV advertising. So they're like, this is our chance to get into TV. And it doesn't work because that show is like radioactive. It's so, uh, so uh, controversial. So controversial. Yeah. So, but still the guy gets out. He does well though within the office. Everyone's still impressed at his gumption. And uh, so first, I guess we'll just talk about that for a sec is uh, it was kind of neat to watch Mad Men again, because I haven't seen it in years. And I guess like the main kind of problem with Mad Men is that it just sort of never goes anywhere. It's a very meandering show. And I don't think either of us actually made it to the end of that series, right? Well, I'm watching it again and I'm into season four, but I, I sleep through <laughs> yeah. huge portions of it. <laughs> um, and all I can say at the end is, although Don Draper is the hero of the show and I kind of liked him at the beginning and I liked his independence and I, you know, but by season four, I can't stand the man. Yeah. He's a male chauvinist pig. And he really is, shows his colors there. And he treats women like dirt, which I guess is, you know, they're trying to get across the message that that in the 1960s was how women were oftentimes treated as objects. I mean, he hops in and out of bed with everything and they're all younger than he is. And I'm often wondering, like, this is a man who at this point would be in his early 40s, I would think. And here's these young gals. They're like 20, 21. They're all more than anxious to have uh, have a night in the sack with him. <laughs> but I mean, are you saying that's unrealistic? Man, well, he's yeah. a good-looking dude. Well, he is good. Well, he is good-looking, but I, I feel like with men, it's like that's your prime when you're in your early 40s and you're Don Draper. Ah, oh, man. I mean, I'm not saying he's not a chauvinist, but I think it's completely believable that uh, people I know, would sleep but with how him. How come some of these girls aren't saying, "Geez, he's old enough to be my freaking father." Cause, because they are only in, they would be about 20, the girls that work in his office and these girls he picks up in bars and that kind of stuff. And there's not, not a one of them who says, Jesus, this would be like sleeping with my old, with, with my father, with my old man. Nope, they're just, okay, yeah, sure, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I gotta say, of all the, my, of whatever problems I have with the show, that ain't one of them. I mean, that, well, that feels see, very believable to me. from a man perspective, see, but from a woman perspective, I would think there would be the occasional woman. Oh, now I say that nobody does it. Now that's not true. The the former wife, not wife, that he had in California, her niece, he drives her home one night and, and, and the niece tells him that this one former wife, whatever, has cancer. He tries to get her into bed and she doesn't. She says, what are you doing? And she's quite <laughs> offended that he would put the makes on her and she gets out of the car. But she's she's very one of the few. 
I'm just saying, I can't believe that every blessed woman who ever looks at Don Draper just wants to get into bed with him. Not everyone would. Yeah, maybe they just didn't show the ones who didn't, though. <laughs> you know, TV. It's not fun to watch TV where, <laughs> you know, it doesn't work out. But uh, did you get to, if you're in season four, did you get to the episode where him and Peggy just uh, stay in during the boxing match and work? No. So no. It, that one's coming up. It's it's a really good episode. But, uh, but yeah, this one, it was neat. Because, uh, yeah, like, I don't think I would go back and rewatch or attempt to get all the way through Mad Men again. Because I made it somewhere into season five and I fell off. I don't know how far it went. Six or seven. But, uh... Well, I'll only get to season four because that's all I've got right. in these DVDs. That's yeah. it. Maybe I'll see them set. at, uh, yeah, see them at uh, the thrift store someday. <laughs> Just, you know, it'd be a nice little treat. But, uh, yeah, like, I don't think I would want to watch Mad Men again en masse like that. Because I was thinking about it. It's like, you know how most shows have... A major plot and then subplots. Mad Men is only subplots. There is never an actual major no. plot. <laughs> now one thing that is fascinating about it though that is on these DVDs and I'm gonna go back and watch more of these. Um, they've got uh, extra little special history things in them. Like right now the one I'm watching it I, I just I watched the show this morning and then I watched the special thing and it was about talking about divorce in the 1960s. And what life was like, you know, the American dream kind of thing in the 1950s, how divorces were still taboo in the 1960s, but were coming um, of age. So, so much so that in 1963, I think they said, like the number of divorces in the States was like, was it 70,000 or whatever. Two years later, it was like 500,000. <laughs> right. And then, and then, of course, it's just gone on and on and on from there. But... But uh, very interesting his historical facts about divorce in the 1960s. And they go back and talk about it in the 30s and the 40s and the 50s. And when they talked about the freedom, there was a thing about the Freedom Riders in 1961 in the 1960s in that show. And, and then in the little special thing, they, they actually showed film footage of that and people being arrested and... Uh, the Kennedy assassination, I'm I'm sure, in one of those. They, the Kennedy assassination is mentioned in one of those shows, and I'm sure one of the special little sections is about that too. So, so that that stuff is really interesting to go back and actually see the re, in real life what was going on and how they fitted into those movie into that TV show. Yeah, like I was saying, like, I I don't think I would want to watch. The whole show again because it, it is just it gets frustrating how meandering it is but to just watch one episode after all this time was very nice because it's just like oh yeah i get to remember all the style of that show because that show is cool like that is one of the top 10 coolest shows ever and made. there's no question that i said this when we talked about it last week the early shows are really well done uh, as you get on in the shows they're more involved with personality and the development of those characters and I mean, they're just people, right? Yeah. Well, that's another thing that I had forgotten about till I watched this episode is uh, I think he might be my favorite character in the whole show is this guy, Sal, who works yeah. uh, in the office. I don't mm -hmm. remember what he does, like printing. He's a, he's an art director right. and uh, really good at his job and eventually has to leave because uh, some highfalutin lucky strike character who's a real obnoxious chauvinist pain in the ass man tries to put the makes on him because Sal is a homosexual but not does not want to admit it to the world or even to himself but this guy puts the makes starts putting the makes on him they're both been drinking 
and Sal backs off and says, you know, no, he doesn't want to have anything to do with him, and he gets fired from yeah. that whole that, that whole system because of that. Well, that's one thing I, I'm really curious in the behind the scenes, like, was that actor not available, or did they have to write him off the show? Because I think that was a terrible move. I remember even at the time when he left the show, I was like, how are they going to fill that gap? Because the, the, the fact that this guy who everybody, it's kind of like an open secret sort of, everyone in the office knows Maybe not that he's gay, but he might be. He sort of might be, yeah. but just nobody, don't ask, don't tell. Nobody wants to bring it yeah. up. And that dynamic of, because it, it does deal a lot, obviously, with male chauvinism and how difficult it was to be a woman in the workplace. But that side thing of, like, you can never admit that you're a gay guy, even, like you said, to himself, was also a very interesting thing about that time. And once that character was gone, they I just... Never filled, yeah, see, yeah, they never filled it. They just left it. Because I find the other characters are just... Like, you know, there's uh, the kid from, from Buffy and his wife, and they're kind of boring. And then there's, uh, the, the, I just think of the other two main guys. I don't remember their names, but, you know, they're just the two young Is guys. He the only one, the only person who knows that Sal may have these um, sexual leanings toward men is Dawn, because they're in some place, some city somewhere, whatever, and there's uh, Dawn's in bed, of course, with some chick that he picks up from somewhere, and uh, Sal is in the room below, and the doorman, or the, whatever, bellboy comes in, and they sort of start start something, but never goes anywhere. And then there's a fire in the building, and his Dawn is coming down the fire escape, and he bangs on Sal's window and says, come on, get out, there's a fire. Um, the other fella comes out, and he's just got his undershirt on and his shorts. So Dawn knows that something's going on, but nobody else ever does, and they never talk about it until a few shows later when this uh, Lee Lucky Strike guy puts the makes on him, and then the next thing you know, he's he's fired. That's it. he he's he's fired because this Lee whatever from Lucky Strike says I don't want to work with him anymore. He can't work on my campaign. Da -da -da, I want him gone, but nobody ever talks about why. Right. And, so, yeah, which just, is believable because you know this is homosexuality in the 1960s and you would not want to admit that you had leanings with a man or feelings towards a man because uh, that would just be taboo in that business you can bid down as many women as you want and they can be young or old or indifferent or whatever but you don't do it with a man yeah, so it's one of those cases where it might be more realistic that uh, at the first hint of scandal, he would just be gone and never to return. But from a TV writing standpoint, I really wish they had just continued to delve into that situation because once Sal was gone, it really reveals that, like, Don Draper's interesting just because he's the main guy. That dude Roger's interesting just because he's charismatic. But all the other underlings in the office, once Sal was gone, I was like, dude, these guys are fucking boring as shit. I don't care about their dumb family lives. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? Like, they're just not interesting compared to him. I was thinking, like, how uh, after Breaking Bad was finished, they did a sequel show, but it's like a prequel about uh, his shady lawyer, Better Call Saul. And oh, yes, Better Call Saul. Oh, yeah, I saw a couple of those. So I was thinking if they were to ever do another Mad Men show in that similar vibe or whatever, make it about Sal. Like, I think that's a interesting enough situation that you could you could make a whole show based on that. Yeah, you could. And, because, and he was, 
he's a very standout character. He looks almost, whereas everybody else looks like standard uh, American people in the way they dress and and their attitudes and their speech. There was something about him. He was almost like a continental or European. Uh, his whole attire, even his, right down to his clothes and his ascot, his, you know, was very, very classy. And he, he definitely stood out in that show. But anyway... Yeah, it was nice too, even just that one episode I watched, just that he's not as uh, beholden to the politics of the office or whatever. Because the whole thing was this dude accidentally opened one of his co-workers' uh, paychecks, pretended it was an accident, but he just wanted to see what this guy got paid, and it turned out to be way more. And then he went to Sal and was like, what do I do? Like, he's got all these dumb ideas of like, how do I repair the envelope? And I like the Sal was like, just fucking throw it away. Just throw it away. Yeah. They'll and cut him a new check. check. Then he's like, but not here because people go through the garbage. <laughs> like, I just liked that he, he knows the score. He knows how the place works. And yeah, like just even that idea that he was kind of gaming the system or like he knew he was always on shaky ground, but he really had the lay of the land. I just don't understand why, just purely from a writing standpoint, well, why the they just got thing, rid of him. Uh, because uh, the only thing I, I attributed that to is this was a time when people didn't want to talk about this stuff. They didn't want to talk about abortion. They didn't want to talk about divorce. They didn't, it was all kind of taboo. You keep that under the table. So well, they introduced it. At the very least, though, that's still just a pure... That's why I'm wondering if the actor wasn't available or something, because they have so many dumb side characters. The guy who hangs out with Don's wife at the horse place, or Tom Hanks's kid being a priest. All these side characters that are of no value. So even if Sal gets fired from from the uh, advertising agency, can't we still check in and see what he's doing? But, <laughs> like, but, you see, they didn't do it with those other people either, okay? We'll take the priest, for example. What was that priest thing all about? Well, him? that's my point, though. It that's made not... it sound like him and Peggy might have something going on there, you know? But but, right. but it was like, oh, my God, no. that yeah, Come on, the Catholic priest having a little relationship with the little girl who's uh, been impregnated by somebody else. Go, oh, you can't do that. So you just stop. Homosexuality, you introduce it, but then you just stop. Yeah, but I mean, I feel like those are different situations, though. Sal was around from the start. He was an established character. These other side characters are just people they threw in with no plan. So, yeah, yeah, I mean... I don't know. I I mean, that's why I didn't finish that show, is because of stuff like that. Like, that show seriously lacked cohesion. You know, like, some of these plots have to go somewhere, sometime, and they never do. Yeah, no, they <laughs> so. don't. They just, uh, they just stop. However, style-wise, cool as hell. Man, that show's cool. Like, it's just, I love the style of it so much. They actually made, it was like a travesty. They made a low-budget Atlas Shrugged movie. I think it was like a trilogy. I don't know if they even finished them. But even though Atlas Shrugged is set in the 40s or the 50s, it... They, they modernized it, and they made it modern day, and it's fucking garbage. And it's like, you got Mad Men right there. Mad Men is exactly how an Ayn Rand book is supposed to feel. Yeah. They even bring up the Fountainhead in one of the episodes. Yes, they do. Yeah, they and do. Like, that's no accident. Like, her style is Mad Men. That's and it. And they that's really do. we got to say, for sets, even right down their furniture, uh, when they do show street scenes, the cars, everything is very, very much 60s style. The dresses. Uh... And, and that's why, yeah, like I was so disappointed with these crappy Atlas Shrugged movies is uh, they didn't have a huge budget, but Mad Men didn't have a huge budget. It was an AMC show. It was <laughs> it had no budget, and they pulled it off. They pulled it off like crazy. Like, man, what a well... 
it's like such a well done show. I respect it a lot, but I don't want to watch it again. <laughs> you know, just weird in the middle thing. But yeah, it was really nice to watch that one episode. However, the episode they referred to of the Defenders about the abortion, I could not find because uh, of the four seasons of this show, The Defenders, one of them came out on DVD, but only one. And it's just not popular enough for some nerd out there to have ripped the DVDs and put them on the Pirate Bay. You know, it's just not there. So what I did find, though, is somebody has this YouTube channel where they have uploaded a bunch of episodes they just had recorded on VHS. <laughs> so this, God bless this good Samaritan who, uh, you know, took the VHS stuff, converted it to computer, put it on YouTube, and it's pretty good quality, <laughs> all things considered. It's not that bad. So since I couldn't get that episode, I picked, uh, I just picked one that had a lot of views and I quickly looked at the comments and the comments were all very, uh, like, good episode, I love this show. So we have, uh, Season 3, Episode 5 of The Defenders, Conspiracy of Silence, which is available on YouTube if anyone wants to watch along. But before then, shall we do a little homework on The Defenders? Sure. So I assume you've never seen this show before. Not this this one. Yeah, have you I, seen I, it in general? I had seen maybe one or two of them, but I didn't see, I didn't see very many of them. See, I didn't know if you had only seen it through Mad Men, or if you had actually nope. seen it. No, I had actually seen it, because the star is E.G. Marshall. Right. And Robert Reed, I think, is the son, maybe? That is correct. Yeah, and I, I did see one or two, but I, but not a lot. So, The Defenders is an American courtroom drama series, ran on CBS from 1961 to 1965, four seasons with 132 episodes, stars E.G. Marshall and Robert Reed as father and son defense attorneys who specialized in legally complex cases with defendants such as neo-Nazis, conscientious objectors, demonstrators of the civil rights movement, a schoolteacher fired for being an atheist, an author accused of pornography, and a physician charged in a mercy killing. So some serious hot-button shit, even now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> hot-button topic is in the mid-60s, and here we are 50, 50 years later. Yeah, like I wouldn't say any of those are easy even now. <laughs> These know? are matters that have never been resolved. I mean, I guess conscientious objector. That one's not a big deal anymore. But other than that... <laughs> but it would be, if if we had another war, you'd have conscientious objectors again. See, this would have been the height of the Vietnam War. Right. Yeah, I, I feel like nowadays it's kind of more flip-flop. Now it's like people who are for a war are the weird ones. <laughs> you know? But uh, this, was, uh, this show was based on an episode of an anthology series called Studio One from 1957. So that's kind of neat because I remember back when we were doing stuff last year, we ran into that situation where they would do these anthology shows and then if either it would be pilots that didn't get picked up, so they'd put them in the anthology, or if there was a, an episode that really stood out, such as this one did, it would get spun off into its own series. It's kind of a neat idea. It's kind of too bad they don't do that anymore. Like just a, a weird, every week you don't quite know what kind of drama show it's going to be. And then if it's popular, you make more. And, and apparently too, in that, uh, the sort of pilot one, the son instead of Robert Reed was uh, William Shatner. <laughs> oh. So, mm -hmm. and he's in a bunch of these too, I guess, just because they're like, he's our boy. So, and yeah, like with all of these, uh, you know, very difficult, you know, strange court cases and situations, victory was far from certain on the defenders, as were morality and justice. So yeah, like we were looking this up a little last week, how uh, 
specifically they brought up like how this was the anti Perry Mason, even though they were both on the same network. Like, you know, Perry Mason, here's a here's a good guy, here's the bad guy. Good guy wins, bad guy loses. Where the defenders was nothing like that. Everything was all complicated and complex. And uh, apparently it was a big success when it was airing on Saturday, and it ran on Saturdays for the first three seasons. Rating success, everybody loved it, did great. But uh, the conservative network was kind of getting tired of this clearly left-leaning and very controversial show. I mean, especially once they get into, like, abortions and stuff. It's like, what are you guys doing? So rather than directly cancel it, they moved it to the ratings graveyard of Thursday evening, presumably as a way to subtly lead to its cancellation, which it did. Because, <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, like, I think of Thursday as must-see TV. That's when Cheers and Seinfeld and Friends were on, but that was many decades later. I guess at this time, Thursday night was uh, not good. It seems to me when I saw The Defenders, so you said it ran until 1965. I don't remember seeing it when I lived in Marysville because we only had one, one TV, one channel. I think I may have seen it when uh, after I moved to Campobello Island and see that down there we were picking up other channels right. from the states because they're so they're on the ocean and they were picking up you, you could get ABC CBC so I suspect I was seeing it not at home I was seeing maybe reruns or something when I would be out babysitting for people because I didn't see a whole lot of them. Yeah, and even to this day, like I said, thank God for this one and person. And I kind of think I was like in high school kind of thing. I was not a, not in junior high school. I was older when I saw these things. So I'm thinking I probably saw them there at other people's houses when I was babysitting. Yeah, it's definitely not one of these like super famous shows. Like if I want to go find Lassie or when I when we did, you know, Leave it to Beaver, not hard to find. Most of these shows aren't that hard to find. But even though The Defenders, it won 13 Emmy Awards, including three in a row for Outstanding Drama Series, received an additional seven nominations but like i had not heard of it until you brought it up last week i'd seen that Mad Men episode but that just you know mm-hmm. i didn't even really realize that was a real situation and uh, and like i said if it wasn't for this one youtube channel where this person uploaded a bunch from their own collection i might not have been able to find any of these <laughs> so it's kind of a shame it's really kind of uh, disappeared despite the fact that in 2002 the defenders was ranked number 31 on tv guide's 50 greatest tv shows of all time and in 2013 tv guide ranked it number eight in their list of 60 greatest dramas of all time so i mean it's always high on yeah, the list and right up there and then yeah like i said it was the 1962 episode the benefactor in which the father and son legal team defended an abortionist which was the most controversial but since I couldn't find that, we have Conspiracy of Silence from October 26, 1963, where the Prestons sue a doctor in a malpractice case that results from the death of a patient. So here we are, 50-some, almost 60 years later. Let's see if in 2022, a storyline from 60 years ago holds up. Yeah, and I mean, I suspect that it will because uh, particularly, I mean, again, we have the luxury of being from Canada, so we can kind of uh, sidestep things a little and pretend that we don't, the the problems of America are not our problems. But, man, America is still just fighting constantly about literally everything. (laughs) Including health care. So, yeah, I suspect this will still be quite, quite relevant. All right, Defenders, Season 3, Episode 5.
So yeah, I guess the first thing I want to bring up is just kind of interesting is uh, that I don't know where this came from because the person who uploaded it to YouTube just said they had a big collection of mostly William Shatner stuff and since he was in this show, that's how they came upon this show and then uploaded all the ones they could find. But didn't say where they got it from because this is the only time I've ever seen, like we've seen shows with uh, the ones that still have the original commercials are the best. That doesn't happen that often though. And we've seen the ones with the time code, so it's clearly a production tape. This one, it's like a pretty decent quality, all things considered for such an old show uh, recording. But instead of where the commercials are supposed to be, it's just a screen that says commercial insert. <laughs> That's just kind of neat. I like seeing this weird behind the scenes stuff and I don't know, I don't know where that came from. Uh, and then I guess the other thing is that uh, Archie Bunker, what's his name? Carol? Carol O'Connor. Yeah, was uh, the main doctor who was uh, on the stand for this. And yeah, it's neat to see him in a such a serious role doing serious acting. And, you know, it's like, obviously he had a career before Archie Bunker, but I wasn't aware of it. So <laughs> it's just, it is weird to try to separate those things. Uh, so how'd you feel about uh, The Defenders? I thought it was excellent. I guess too, uh, yeah, so um, uh, the way the show is constructed, because we had that other show we watched last year, They Stand Accused on the Dumont Network, that was, the whole thing was in the court. This one, it was an hour-long show, but it was about half and half, which isn't that how Law and Order, isn't that how that works too? Like, they're kind of uh, sussing out the case for the first half, and then the second half is in the courtroom? Yeah. Pretty much. So they probably took that formula from this show. And rather than just have it in the court, because it's pretty friggin' boring. Right. If you have to establish all these points of law or points of view or points of humanity or whatever, if you have to do that in the courtroom, very boring. So that formula that they're using of uh, introducing us to all the characters and their reasonings as to why they do things and creating the controversy is a is an excellent way to do it then the courtroom scenes are very very short yeah yeah because even when they first went to court it is kind of that uh it's kind of more fun when they're just at the hospital and they're interviewing the different people and like that's it's like the detective side of it almost yeah and then you're like oh darn court but then you get into the court thing and now the and thing that uh, i was doing though all the way through and i kept trying not to do it but i kept doing it anyway uh i guess because i'm a lawyer I kept looking at the legal argument as they were talking about why the doctor did this or why the doctor didn't know that. Um, and I kept thinking, yeah, okay, from the from a legal standpoint, this wouldn't fly or that wouldn't work or they're not going to be successful in court with that argument. And I was thinking, geez, if I had seen this when I was when it was first aired and I would have been about 16 years old, 15, 16 years old, I would have been looking at it from a whole different angle, from a very emotional angle. I would have been siding with the wife and feeling so sorry for her and and what happened. But uh, but now looking at it, I'm looking at it from um, a legal argument. I assume, too, in uh, real court, there's a lot less. And isn't it true that, uh, you know, like these really yeah, uh, heightened, yeah. dramatic... Yeah, you can't get away with that. Although, give give him the ado, the other lawyer kept cutting in and saying, that's argumentative, that's not yeah. a question, that's a comment. You know, they were he was really good at that continual jumping in. And that's where, yeah, I was mentioned while we were watching it, it really feels different from where, uh, you know, like Perry Mason or whoever, or the, the, the hotshot lawyer that is so great. I really get the feeling that E.G. Marshall in this 
like the even the judge is just like kind of like all right he's here he goes again with his fucking isn't it true and it's like will you stop (laughs) like i feel like the other characters were like hey buddy you're not in a tv show act professional but it was more realistic than uh let's say something like perry mason because it was showing you legal argument and there is a lot of that interjection and interruption which is why most court cases are so terribly boring right. uh, because the lawyers are always cutting in on each other and saying oh that guy shouldn't be saying that judge make i want you to make a ruling and um and they they did pretty good at uh, bringing that up without dragging the show down it was good so the basic plot is uh, this guy goes in for a routine surgery uh, for a hernia and it turns out he has hemophilia that he did not know about and the overworked doctor didn't do all of his due diligence to uh, you know double check that this guy doesn't have hemophilia so the guy died on the operating table so I guess that's the first thing that I thought was a little potentially contrived about setting up this situation but again maybe it's just If this is the 60s and this guy grew up in the late 40s or 50s, I mean, maybe. Maybe you would just grow up and not know that you have hemophilia. Yeah, and I suppose if you never had a serious accident of any kind where you bled a lot, maybe you wouldn't know. And they even put his own doctor on the stand who had uh, done his, you know, had told him that he had the hernia and he should have the operation. And that doctor didn't check for hemophilia either. And if the man knew that he had anything like that, he according to what we saw he didn't disclose it that is one of those things that i've got to just presume is just a a thing of the time because i just feel like you couldn't do this plot today because like for instance uh there's the guy that we were just showing you the clip of uh the trash taste podcast the three british guys that talk about japan and anime and shit one of those dudes uh the guy connor he's got hemophilia and yeah he's like in the hospital since he was four years old like you'd Nowadays, you know. When you have hemophilia, you know. It's not a, a mystery. <laughs> so, I mean... But see, they were... Now, they were saying hemophilia, but we never really... I mean, and they may have just been using that term just for this show's purposes. The man just may have uh, had thin blood, like people who have heart operations, for example. They put them on blood thinners, and they bleed like crazy. If they knock into something, they get huge bruises because their blood is so thin. So he is so rather than them getting into big argument about that sort of thing, thin blood, maybe they just decided they would use hemophilia as a as a term. But I mean I know people nowadays, even today, like they'll say they're on blood thinners and I'll say things like, uh, oh gee, if you bump into something and get a bruise, do you d- does it become a huge bruise? Uh because the blood is flowing so easily under your skin and oh no, no, that's not a problem. So then you wonder, like, do they, if they were going to a hospital, or would they, would they say that? Would they tell the doctor, hey, I'm on blood thinners. I'm, I bleed like a stuck pig. <laughs> well, I mean, again, I, they should. They should. <laughs> you know? But you wonder. Right. It's like sometimes when you go to the doctor and the, the doctor says, like, how are you? Oh, I'm fine. But you, but you got things wrong with you. And sometimes that's why I always say to clients here, look, you should have somebody else go with you because... Somebody's going to tell that doctor different things than what you say. Like, you've been practically dead in the morning. Now you're here at the doctor's office, and how are you? Oh, I'm fine. Well, no, you're not. Why are you here? So, hard to say. I mean, I wouldn't just put it down to the 1960s that they weren't checking for those kind of things. Was that doctor negligent? Um, See, again, it's open-ended. The show ends on you don't really know. Right, and I guess so in a way 
kind of the real uh it's it's sort of well the way I kind of see it is it's it's pretty clear that the doctor technically by the letter of the law was negligent and didn't do his due diligence and kind of the conflict of the episode is the doctor knows that he made a mistake and he knows that he's culpable for this guy's death but he doesn't want to denigrate the trust people have in in doctors like he feels like these court cases you know accidents happen mistakes happen he saved for every person who dies he saved fucking hundreds of other people so what is the value in running the situation through the mud and putting this blotch on the doctor profession when it was just a mistake and just an accident and it's one of those things that i think i kind of side with the doctor like by the letter of the law yeah he was wrong and the wife should be compensated but it's just so weird from the wife's side like what is i guess what it comes down to is it's again that american idea of punitive justice you know i'm just not into that like well but here's the other thing would the and I don't know what the story would be in the 60s, but I presume it wouldn't be that much different than today. The surgeon is doing the surgery. He's putting on his gown, and the guy's going into the operating room, and the, and the doctor is doing the surgery. What about the prep leading up to that? Like, who is responsible for checking out to get the man ready for surgery, to the nurse took the needle and wrote it in the report, but was there nobody else, a prep doctor or something, who would, who would look at that and inform the surgeon? I mean, the surgeon's doing the surgery, right? Is he supposed to be going around like and checking everything else on the patient too prior to surgery? I. Yeah, that's a good point. Like, for instance, another character was the young protege who's been working with Archie Bunker <laughs> for the past year, you know, working his way up to becoming a great doctor. What did that guy even do? He uh, apparently was there for the surgery, but did he not look at the records? Did he have not? Like, what did he do? Yeah. <laughs> you know, couldn't he be double checking stuff? Like, you know, the man is set up to have a her have a hernia. Like, didn't he? Not here's what would happen nowadays: you would go in ahead of time, prior to the surgery, and give a report to the hospital about, uh, you know, your health. Uh, if there were any dietary issues, yes, and they would take blood tests at that time, check all that stuff out, and then you'd come back later for this surgery because it's not an emergency surgery. This is probably a fault with the show because they're trying, well, not a fault, but they're trying to squeeze it into one hour. But my God, they, they laid it all on this surgeon. Here he is operating on the man, and he discovers during the operation that the man's a bleeder. Well, shouldn't have there have been a, a lead up to that, other doctors involved or other medical staff involved where they would have gotten a history on this man um, and checked his blood? I mean, they're checking out his blood like just before he goes into surgery. Okay, yes, I buy that. But shouldn't that have happened like pre-surgery? Shouldn't there have been blood tests done at that time? Yeah, this is one of those things where so, this clearly does seem like, it seems like a pretty good show, and who can say about the other episodes, but uh, it does seem like, I mean, here we're at like season three, so they've probably burned through an awful lot of story ideas by now, and if they've established that this is, this is what the show is, is that we want it to be a complex situation without an easy answer, maybe at this point, you know, that they've done 100 episodes, maybe it's getting tough to 
come up with these situations. I mean, that abortion one was in season one. They burned that right away, you know, like, so yeah, it feels like this situation is contrived in many ways. The guy doesn't know he has hemophilia. They don't test for it. And then we just kind of have to take for granted, like, well, if he does start bleeding, what can we do? You got to thaw the plasma. Yeah, you don't yeah. have, It's like, I'm pretty sure they'd have some something yeah, ready yeah. to go in a but hospital. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> they would have that stuff arranged ahead of time. Yeah. To lay it all on one man who is operating, and he finds out he's in the middle of the operation, you know? Like, he's got the guy cut open. Oh, my God, he's a bleeder. And nobody has ever... There's been no prep work. Yeah, maybe that's why, yeah, because I found myself pretty that was much... a bit of a weak point. Quite, quite immediately, I found myself leaning toward Archie Bunker's side, toward the doctor's side, because, you know, partially it is just, I mean, he had his big filibuster speech of, like, when we do the miracle, we barely get a thank you, but when the miracle fails, then the vultures want to come and but see, eat our the corpses. Whole, the whole theme is in the title of that, Conspiracy of Silence. What they were trying to make the audience believe is that all medical staff support all medical staff. Right. They will not rat on one another. You hear that. Yeah, I've heard that for generations. Yeah, which again, I mean, I'm not necessarily opposed to that either. Yeah. And maybe it's just my uh, my personal inclinations, but like, I don't have any particular respect for the masses. I don't particularly think they have a right to fucking anything, really. (laughs) Like, compared to a doctor who has dedicated their life to something, like, I guess this is where I'm not, I'm really not an egalitarian person. I really do think some people are more important than other people. And And the doctor is more important than the masses. Well, and at one point, the, one of those doctors says, uh, it was the professor at the university, the medical professor at the university, he says, there's another option here. You go to the medical board, uh, a, a board of doctors reviews this. But no, no, couldn't go down that road, didn't want to go down that road. But as I was listening to that, I was thinking, okay, you're talking medical issues. You're talking what happened, what people knew, was there disclosure, are people being quiet about this stuff? And maybe all those doctors would also have a conspiracy of silence. I don't know. But you go into court and you've got 12 people sitting on a jury and you've got a judge. What the hell do they know about medicine? Right. They're going to listen to, I don't know about the judge, but the judge is supposed to be impartial and is supposed to listen to both sides and, you know, but what the hell does he know about medicine? Come on, he's a lawyer. And the people in the jury are going to be all caught up in the emotionalism of what happened. Are they going to start questioning uh, the whether people knew things, whether things were disclosed, whether the man, are they, are they going to look at it from a medical through medical eyes? Uh, no, they're not. And they're going to feel, of course, a, a great sympathy for the wife. And, of course, you feel sorry for her. I didn't. She was annoying. Well, <laughs> but she sent her husband off for what should have been a simple operation. And the next call she gets is that he's dead. I mean, that's pretty friggin' shocking. Sure. But, I mean, you know, we've all had people die. But that, <laughs> that, that has lady was like, nothing. She was, she was on her own planet of overacting. But that has nothing to do with what actually happened and who knew things and whether... You know, there was an honest mistake and, you know. Right. Well, yeah, going back to what I was saying about uh, I'm not a fan of punitive justice, which is big time what America's into, is like, that's where, yeah, like that putting in front of his peers and other doctors, that could be useful because obviously from this experience, the doctor needs to be aware what went wrong so that it won't go wrong again and change his practices and be ready the next time. That's a valuable thing. 
what is the value in just a public lambasting? There's yeah, none. Exactly. Which at least I was glad though at the end. He got fined money and has to pay restitution to the wife, but he was going to do surgery the next morning. Like, so I thought it was going to be worse than that. I was afraid they were going to like disbar this guy or whatever you call getting, uh, you know, yeah, yeah, just relieving a doctor, profession. yeah, which and, would which would not be valuable and would not help anybody. And you see, that could have happened if they didn't settle. See that it, at the end of the day, a jury could have made a strong recommendation to the judge that he be totally uh, kicked out of the profession. Because that's just, just the feeling I got from the wife, especially the more she kept going on about, like, I don't even care about the money. And it's like, well, then what do you care about? Like, revenge? What is this about? Yeah, you but know? no, like, I could see that, though, because a lot of people have a, have a, they don't feel that money can compensate or bring back what they lost. And it's true. It can't. But it's the best we've got. When somebody does you wrong, you can put them in the stocks, you can cut off their head, you can, you know, <laughs> but, but, but put them in jail still... forever. But what does that do for anybody? Money is the best compensation in our culture but in that this, we have to right or wrong. In this particular situation, though, I mean, that's such a strange take that the doctor wronged her. Like, the doctor was trying to help her. It's just a, an accident happened, you know? Yes. Like, it's just, yeah, that whole, like, eye for an eye revenge thing. It's so American, and I just don't like it at all. And it's just, and that's what I found weird about these main characters, E.G. Marshall and his son, is they had a couple little overtures about uh, justice and truth, but really they're just towing the line. They're just making sure the system works and just by the letter of the law... And I don't like that either. I but think that, but I, that's how the law works, though. But, and but that's I, what lawyers do when they get in court. Yeah, well, I just I don't yeah. I don't trust anyone who just puts the their faith in the system and like, hey, if that's what the system says, it must be right. Like, uh, really, it's just funny that the good guys, the quote unquote good guys in this show, I just found so unpleasant. The lawyers and the wife. It's just like all of you people need to just take a step back, take a deep breath, think about why you're pursuing this case because what did this doctor actually do besides make a mistake? And see, that's what I'm saying. If I had been watching this before I became a lawyer, I would have looked at it from that very same standpoint that you're looking at it from, oh, these characters, I can't stand that one and I can't stand that one and this was not right. Yeah. But when you look at it from a lawyer standpoint, they brought up all kinds of points of law that most of these shows would never do. And one of them is, if you are wronged or you feel you are wronged, what kind of compensation can I give you? I can't give you back your husband, but I can give you money. And that sounds so awful. Oh, I can pay you money. But what else is there? So she will get money that will set her and her child up for their, for their life. They can never get the husband back. So, hey, money. And, and it sounds awful to say that. That case, if it had gone to trial, could have gone the other way. They could have found completely for the doctor. She would have walked away with nothing, absolutely nothing. So by settling it the way they did, it sounds kind of crass. And, but he was able to carry on with his practice. He obviously learned, would learn from what happened there that he better go and start checking people for hemophilia. And she has money compensation that will allow her to carry on with her life. That's the best you can hope for. But there was no real resolution at the end of that show. Well, I kind of got the sense, I mean, maybe uh, I'm reading into this. Maybe this isn't what they intended. But when the young doctor showed up to testify, that's when Archie Bunker said, like, all right, forget it. Let's just let's just settle. I kind of got the sense it was because Archie Bunker kind of wanted to 
you know, the, the veteran doctor kind of wanted to protect the young doctor from this circus. It's like, you don't need to be involved in this. I wish you hadn't showed up. And now that you're here, I'm not going to make you have to do this. I think there was some of that. But at the very end, when he said that the only reason why the other fella, see, which was not quite right either. The only reason why the other fella uh, was operated on at 11 o'clock in the morning instead of 4 o'clock in the afternoon is because there may be an emergency happen in the afternoon and they would need the operating room for that. And then you hear the little kick in the can here. What actually did happen was the tonsillectomy. Yeah, but I don't yeah, think, but see, uh, but 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 that, but if there had been a real emergency, see, yeah. this is what they didn't cover here, and this is a fault in that show. If there had been a real a real emergency, a car accident, heart attack, whatever, at four o'clock in the afternoon, that tonsillectomy would have been bumped. But they made it sound like, um, oh, Archie Bunker doctor just wanted to you know, get get the earlier one out of the way, and he just had a light light load for the afternoon. But he had he would have no way of knowing what would happen at 4 o'clock in the afternoon, whether he'd do that tonsillectomy or whether there could be another surgery that he would have to take care of. Yeah. Right? They didn't, they didn't deal with that. I didn't like that about that, how they put that little, you know, that little kick in the can in there, like uh, to make the doctor surgeon seem like he was a bit of a, you know, shithead. <laughs> Right. Didn't, didn't like that. So. But yeah. that's the only fault I could say with it that I... Yeah, no, I mean, it's uh, it's interesting because, yeah, I do find, like, it's uh, almost the reverse of most shows where, yeah, you're very firmly on the side of the prosecutors and the, uh, you know, and they're the main characters. They're the ones here every week. And in this, this uh, show, that certainly was not the case. It's just like, you guys are just some wind us up we're the little legal monkeys we just do the do the process <laughs> it's like <"Ugh." laughs> and well i got the feeling that the reason that they settled at the end because when the surgeon got off the stand and went and talked to his lawyer he whispered something in his ear and of course they wouldn't they wouldn't necessarily know what that younger doctor was going to say on the stand but archie bunker surgeon he did know that that fellow was very bothered by what had happened uh, felt almost a guilt complex about something that happened. So I think they weren't sure what he was going to say. So rather than take the chance of uh, him saying something really derogatory, uh, that the doctor really was negligent, he really, you know, saying something like that, uh, they didn't want to take that chance. Right. So they settled instead. <laughs> that was, I guess, one part, too. I mean, everybody was obviously quite dramatic as the style of the time. Everything's a little overly heightened. But it was a little weird when it's just... Uh, just the elder doctor talking to the younger doctor and they're also having the big dramatic conversation where the young doctor's like, but isn't it true that you're the reason why this man died? Where, uh, I mean, this is just anecdotal, but anytime I've spent around hospitals, like that young doctor would already be in the same place Archie Bunker's in, in the sense of you really aren't that bothered by one person dying. Because you go through so many people, and people die all the time. I remember when I was in the hospital in Toronto for uh, my appendix. I was stuck there for a few days. And it was just the eeriest thing to be wandering the halls because I had nothing to do. And, like, there'd be a whole family at a hospital bed grieving, you know, and it's the saddest thing you've ever seen. And then you turn the corner, and there's a bunch of orderlies and stuff, like, laughing at a joke. Because they're there all the time. 
it's not the same to them. So (laughs) I really don't think that young doctor would be like, isn't it true that he died because of you? He'd be like, yeah, well. (laughs) If he he was on them, remember, now picture it that that trial had carried on. You've got the jury there. You've got that doctor on the stand, that young doctor, and the E.G. Marshall character, prosecuting attorney or whatever the heck he was. Uh, He says, do you think that surgeon doctor is responsible? He would have said yes. Because that's what he said in the room with them privately. And if he had said yes, the jury would have been uh, convicted. Yeah. So I guess that's where it is weird. It's like, that yeah, was a chance they didn't want to take. Like, by the letter of the law, it is true that uh, the doctor has made a mistake and that, uh, you know, the, the E.G. Marshall was right to pursue this case. But on the other hand, when the nurse character is like, ah, these fucking vultures, these, uh, you know, ambulance chasers... I kind of felt like that too. It's like, get out of here. Yeah. Everyone's trying their hardest in this hospital. No one deliberately, there was no malice, no, I guess. No malice. The there is, when we were in law school, though, one of the very first things we learned about trial, trials, any trial, civil, criminal, whatever, if you put someone on the stand and you don't know the answer, you don't know how they're going to answer, don't ask the question. <laughs> right. Because, uh, man, you might just come, they may just might come out with something that's going to bite your client right in the ass. And if you're not prepared, you're going to have to somehow get around it. Sometimes you can't because it throws you right off. <laughs> and you see that many times on court shows on TV. Somebody always says something where everybody's like, well, what? <laughs> yeah, that was funny, too, that every time, you know, E.G. Marshall, during the climactic finale court stuff you know he's he's asking questions he's asking questions and then isn't it true that blah 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 i liked that right away the the uh defending lawyer and the judge were just like that's not that's a question yeah. That, yeah like that, that's literally not a question yeah. <laughs> it's like and, oh and yeah that is how it is supposed to work in in courts uh you are supposed to be put down so getting back to perry mason which we see perry mason never gets stopped at the very end when there's a big turn around, everybody just sits back and listens because, of course, the accused jumps up and says, "Yes, I did it." Right. <laughs> nice. So yeah, and uh, I don't think that uh, di- distinctly relates to anything, you know. Uh, but I guess we could watch an All in the Family next week. <laughs> or either that, or a Perry Mason. Yeah. Okay. Let's do Perry Mason first. Why not? Just to make a <laughs> just, little chain out of this. Just to do a comparison of two law shows. And who knows who will be guest starring in that one? Maybe that'll send us off to something else. All right. Next week, Perry Mason. Surely that'll be easier to find. But, but yeah, that's again a nice little. Nice little piece of TV history that it's nice to fill in on my bingo card because I didn't even know what it was. And so. I had completely forgotten about the Defenders until I saw that Mad Men show. And I said, oh, yeah, the Defenders. I vaguely remember that. Nice. But I think it held up. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, clearly all the, uh, you know, awards and stuff. Well, I can see both sides of it. I can see why it won all those awards and stuff back in the day. But on the other hand, I can see also why it's a little hard to track down now. Because it's not like the Lone Ranger or something. It's not like Zorro. It's it's pretty dry. I, mean, I can see how there's not a lot of fans of it anymore. It's pretty dry, but it's it it in this show they dealt with an issue that is still an issue today because you still hear about medical silence right. among physicians. <laughs>